Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe. Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome, welcome to, to the, the C4SO, C4SO podcast. podcast. Hey there, Mickey. Good to see you as always. Hey, you too. How is your, uh, I guess, end of Lenten season? How's it treating you? You know, my Lent got interrupted by a trip to California. So some of my my practices went a little wonky, but uh, (laughs) but it's it's been good. When I got home, I was able to get back into it. So, you know, these little fastings, I just always try to connect them to whatever I'm working on in my own discipleship. And so, you know, that way it's not legalistic. It's just a little practice that helps me be aware of something I'm working on with God. So it's been good in that way. Yeah, that's awesome. How about you? It's been going well. Yeah. Staying busy as as always, but have been staying true to my TikTok fast. Yeah. (laughs) I told my family, you know, when we were talking about the things that we were going to be giving up and why. And I said, oh yeah, I'm giving up TikTok just because, you know, I've been spending a lot of time on just consuming media and when I could be using it wisely. And I was convicted of that. My brother-in-law actually said, that's the most 2023 thing I've ever no. heard. I'm giving up TikTok for Lent. <laughs> that so. is a total 2023 Lent yeah. pass, that's for sure. Yeah, so that was that was so That's why you're here though. You're here to keep us contemporary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was convicted of that, right? I yeah. could have been using that time to spend it more wisely in the word or with sure. my family. So I've been trying really hard to to stick to that. This season of Lent has been really I think really impactful for me. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I've been exposed to so many great resources. Yeah. And and together we have interviewed a lot of these people mm-hmm. on the show this past season. So it's been really formative for me and really encouraging. And it's been nice to be able to share these with my church as well. Oh, good. Yeah, this has been our, our first season together co-hosting a, yeah. a, a, a season in the church calendar. And so uh, you'll remember we started off with Esau and his new book on Lent and just mm-hmm. talking about Lent as a basic spiritual practice. And yeah. Then, uh, Alan with an unhurried Lent, Alan Fadling, mm-hmm. and David Roseberry, sort of preaching from uh, that content in Psalm on the Cross. Right. And then remember, we talked to Garrett Jones out in LA, Vintage, uh, how they approach uh, Lent in a more kind of post- low church setting. Ch- post-Christian, low church you know, yeah. kind of setting. And then remember, we had that wonderful conversation with Markeen and, and Peter. Uh, Peter, yeah, yeah. about uh, contemplative Lent. So we're going to take a little break after uh, this series that we've done uh, for a few weeks, and then the podcast will be back. Uh, but today we have a really great guest to help us close out the Lenten series and pivot towards Holy Week. So like, would it embarrass you if I said here in public what you told me in private? The, the little, <laughs> you got a little fangirl stuff going I with did. our guest today, Ashley Matthews. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So Ashley Matthews is our guest today. And I was telling Bishop Todd in our um, pre-production meeting (laughs) where we discussed the plan that I've actually been following Ashley's ministry for a while now. Um, At the time that my husband and I stepped into C4SO, she was the teaching pastor at Trinity in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And she is now the rector at Christ the King in Fayetteville. And uh, she's just a super gifted teacher. And that comes out in this episode where she talks about... Holy Week and the different days that we commemorate as a tradition and kind of her hopes and dreams for her current context now and as they approach Holy Week themselves. So we're happy now for you to hear our conversation with Ashley Matthews. Well, Ashley, 
Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you on the show. First, to kind of start off and give our listeners just a little bit of background on yourself, let's talk about where you currently are. So you're in Fayetteville. What has been the most joyful discovery in moving to where you're at now? Because you were in Atlanta. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So tell us more about where you're currently rooted. Yeah. So we're in uh, Northwest Arkansas, in the Northwest corner of the state in uh, Fayetteville, of course, a university town, most joyous part of moving here. So I'm from Arkansas originally. So oh, okay, cool. Um, this is a kind of homecoming for me, even though I didn't grow up in this part of the state. I grew up about three hours east of here. Gotcha. Okay. In the central part of the state, you know, and so it is and isn't a kind of homecoming for me. So that's been very sweet to be back in Arkansas and to mm-hmm. you know be back home in that way. I think uh, related to that, probably one of the most kind of like joyous discoveries has been um, seeing the Lord uh, redeem and correct even some of my assumptions about both I think myself and the church uh, here. And I mean, I think if mm-hmm. I just honestly always assumed that this would probably be the last place that I would ever do ministry. Mm-hmm. That if I ever moved home to Arkansas, it would be to, I don't know, farm or garden or yeah, something. Yeah, <laughs> not do ministry. Okay. Yeah. To do ministry. And um, so I think truly the most joyous discovery has been, you know, the people that I've met here and the openness and really, I think uh, even eagerness for the real Mm. appetite for the expression of worship um, that we are making at Christ the King together, uh, that kind of blended Mm. worship. There really um, hasn't been much of that in this part of the state anyway. And so Mm. um, that's been very fun. And um, mm. I think both in a kind of like surprising way. So yeah, watch the Lord do a really new thing um, and even to correct your faulty assumptions when you're almost 40 and mm. has been pretty fun. Well, maybe we like being in the creek. Um, so it's yeah. like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. A lot of creeks in Atlanta. And so I grew up in uh, them. Yeah. So the Ozarks are really beautiful and to be oh. this close to the outdoors and surrounded by it has like, so, you know, it's not. I awesome. love that. I love that. So maybe an even more or less spiritual question. (laughs) Do you have a secret hidden talent that we should know about? Now's the time to shine. I don't. I (laughs) almost think I'm kidding. I say like, I have no marketable skills and I'm like (laughs) one trick pony beyond like this thing. that's very like narrow niche of a thing that I can do. Yeah. I really, I really don't. I wish that I could be like, you know what? Actually, Mickey, I'm an opera singer. He did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or a tightrope walker or I don't know, something really cool. But no, I skip rocks pretty great. And that's like, the so there we go. I can't there do go. that. That's Nothing great. Your roots is like, I can, um, I can catch a crawfish and I can, uh, as it turns out, still skip rocks with the best of them. So, there you know, go. I can't do that. Yeah. So Art it is a talent. <laughs> that's awesome. And the, the follow up question is always like, well, what do you wish you could do? So see, there you go. That's a great answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I want to know what do you wish you could do? Like if you could do one well, she, thing where you had a great talent, what would it be? Would it be opera singing? I opera? love singing for sure. I oh, think singing, okay. not give me the ability to sing is because I would probably just never stop doing it. I would be yeah. like, mm. <laughs> exhausting people that's, that's always like ready and willing to sing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love that. That would, that would be me. Thanks, Ashley. That's fun. So this is the last of our uh, Lenten series, Ashley, and so we want to pivot today from Lent to Holy Week. So we thought we might do that, though, knowing that you're a a working rector and have gone through Lent, and we've tackled some of the top topics of Lent uh, in earlier podcasts. 
But just to help us pivot here, as a pastor, when you work with the more public Lenten practices, mm-hmm. um, what are you shooting for? What are you looking for? How do you engage with them in formational and missional ways? A fair number of our folks at Christ the King are are pretty new to the church calendar and uh, new to Anglicanism. Yeah. And I don't think that's just true of folks who are currently at Christ the King, but I think that's true um, for a lot of folks in this area. Mm-hmm. So during ordinary time, we spent a, a fair amount of time talking about how the tradition and our practices, they're really important, or they are rather a means to an end. They're not an end in and of themselves. Yeah. You know? right. They're meant to sort of facilitate um, our life in the spirit and our faith in God. And that's really important because uh, being Anglican is, of course, like a defining marker for us at Christ the King because we're one of the only Anglican churches in the area. And right. so it's important, but it's like um, in the service of something uh, beyond itself, it's yeah. sort of intentionally, necessarily aimed beyond itself. So right. that's true even for the season of Lent. Lent is, um, you know, I think maybe I became Anglican in large part because of Lent <laughs> originally. Mm. It's just, wow. I think Anglican cool. um, do Lent really well, and it served as a really helpful corrective for me coming out of uh, just a really uber evangelical culture in which there wasn't a lot of, there's just more practices built around confession or even what is penitence and what's the purpose of it or yeah. um, what does it mean to prepare for Easter? Yeah. So as far as the the formational part of that, that goes, we've been talking a lot about um, what Lynn is for, mm. you know, if it's uh, in the service of something, what is that? So we know it's a season of preparation, but like, what are we preparing for? It's not just mm. Easter Sunday. It's not just this like season of weeks on the calendar. It's of course bigger than that. So uh, what is it? And we know that, you know, Lent is about fasting, but what are we fasting for? Why fast? Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the things that's always really stood out to me is um, Alexander Shmemem has a book called Great Lent that's been one of my Mm -hmm. like sort of go-to reads for the last number of years. And in that book, he says that Lent is about liberation from sin. Yeah. And so we've, for us, we've been preaching out of Romans and we've been talking Mm -hmm. quite a lot about, um, about that. If, what does that mean? If Lent is um, in the service of freedom, in the service of our liberation, then how do these practices serve to deliver us, um, make us more free? And so the the question, the preceding question is like, okay, in what ways do I need to be more free? Mm -hmm. Am I really bound by my appetites Uh, and how, and in what way? And so what kind of practice therefore might I need in order to be more free in this area? If it's fasting, Okay, mm-hmm. but what should I fast? Um, and mm-hmm. that probably has something to do with where I need to be more free, you know. Yeah. Um, so if it's um, if I feel bitter, you know, or, or angry, then and I want to be free from that. Well, maybe I need to practice confession in a really intentional way mm-hmm. during this time. So we've been looking at the those kinds of practices or the you know really traditional ones, fasting, confession, mm-hmm. in particular Sabbath keeping. Uh, we've been mm-hmm. going through. John Mark Comer's Practicing the Way. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah, that we launched our community groups during the season of Lent and Easter mm-hmm. so that we could practice together yeah. um, Lent and uh, in particular Sabbath keeping mm-hmm. as a kind of um, act of resistance from yeah. the world. It doesn't make a lot of room for yeah. rest or delight mm-hmm. in the missional sense. I, my hope is beyond people just knowing, okay, well, they're Anglican and so they like fast during Lent or whatever, that as more and more people have an imagination for why we do those things, that the mm-hmm. folks outside of the church would be compelled. You know, I think that's something everybody needs. I think it's attractive yeah. inherently to every person, uh, the idea of freedom. Yeah. So in that way, I, I hope it's, it's missional. Yeah. 
So amongst yeah. your uh, gift mix, Ashley, is uh, being a teacher, I think you would say, and a communicator. How do you find your teaching, preaching changing during Lent? Or, or does it? Does it take on a different accent or... Mm. Uh, well, quite literally, I think my preaching is taking on a different accent since I moved to Arkansas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Um, feeling right at home. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, that's a great, it's a great question. I, you know, I think sort of practically speaking, my mm. preaching has to be a little shorter during mm. Lent. Those of um, you who out there who um, stick to uh, the liturgy pretty purposely and intentionally uh, will note that the liturgy lengthens during yeah. Lent. So the readings get longer, yeah. you know, yes. Um, yes, and the prayers get longer. And so my time gets shorter. Necessarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really ap- appreciate that and I find it, you know, it's, it's a struggle for every preacher to be really concise. And I'm not saying yeah. I always do a great job of it, but I really do appreciate the corrective or just maybe the message of that, you know, yeah is that it's time for us to, to pray more and read more and maybe talk less in, in yeah. general. Mm. So, you know, that being said, it's also, you know, it's Sunday. So for those of us who are fasting through this season, um, I really look forward to Sundays and Sundays are in of themselves, you know, many resurrection days. Yeah. They're feast days. Right. So, right. Um, you know, as you know, Lent is a, is a whole mood as they say. So like yeah. the whole service is just a little bit more somber and um, that's, intentionally and rightly so, but I hope that everything is pointing in a hopeful direction. And so we do that really intentionally. I, Mm -hmm. both in my preaching, um, if I'm going to be pretty heavy handed about sin in a gracious way, I hope I'm also Mm -hmm. make sure that that is rightly pointing towards our hope and and why it is that we need to take it so seriously. And so we end the service every Sunday by, you know, me very intentionally telling them to like go out and practice Hope all of the things mm-hmm. that you have put down on purpose that you've been fasting, um, yeah. purposely yeah. take them back up mm-hmm. for Jesus' sake, you know, and mm, yeah. joyful today, feast today, um, practice hope today. So, yeah. um, all right. So, last thing, Ashley, as we pivot here to Holy Week, tell us a fun story if you can, or an encouraging story about some movement you saw, a movement of God in someone's life this Lent, as uh, you observed that encouraged you and, and might encourage us. So we've been practicing Sabbath keeping. That's kind of the thing Mm -hmm. that we've been doing in our community groups and called the church to to think about and wrestle with together. And so really two things stand out. I think one is just watching people really wrestle um, with it and having to like Mm. contend with reality that our world and our lives really don't make much space, if any, um, for communion with God, for rest, for delight. And the sobering fact of that is just Mm -hmm. really tough. Yeah people contend with um, kind of like the extent of our oppression. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I really think it is that. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. oppression is no less oppressive just because you willingly participate in it. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, that's just the fact for a lot of us. So that has been, I think, sobering yeah. and um, both and its own way encouraging to be like, well, can we just admit this and acknowledge it all together? Kind of like put a, some light on it. Yeah. And then, watching people turn the corner and start to try to really honestly do something about it. Wow. So like I, I went and sat with a group of college students uh, on their campus and you know, there were about nine of them and listened to one student, you know, just, she just put her hands up and she was like, you know, it's, I don't even really know who I am apart from my people pleasing. And that's the thing mm, that stands wow. between me and Sabbath keeping is like, I just, I'm terrified by the thought of disappointment. Yeah. Wow, yeah. And I just don't even really know who I would be or the decisions I would make if I wasn't doing it to please people. Yeah. And you know, when you hear somebody say something that pointedly, you know, the instinct that you have pastorally is to be like, well, we're just going to 
you need to be free. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Um, And so the liturgy we've been praying during prayers of the people has been, you know, the prayers of uh, deliver us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Our need for approval, um, deliver us Jesus from our need for, you know, outshining other people. And so, you know, for her, that liturgy became very concrete, um, very purposeful, and I hope really redemptive. Nice. You know, and then in a less, you know, in a lighter way, I, ran into a guy the other day at the uh, coffee shop. He was on his way to buy a really nice pizza for himself, mm-hmm. you know, to eat pizza and practice Sabbath so that he could just like read a book and eat some great pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Another couple that uh, he works on Saturday nights until late. And uh, so when he gets home, they make pancakes together um, mm-hmm. at midnight and to r- kind of ritually mark the beginning of their Sabbath on Sunday. Yeah. So those have been, that's. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. Yeah, you bring up a couple of really important things. You used the phrase Sabbath and resistance earlier, and of course made me think of Brueggemann in his book, Sabbath is Resistance. Mm-hmm. So you're, but you're right, uh, Ashley, there's that cultural thing that's really big, but then there's that interpersonal thing when you talk about that college girl, that yes. it was her own inner yeah. stuff. And I think you really help us make both the missional and formational point about all this in that story is that, like you said, we're never just doing these things as some sort of religious or Anglican duty, but always doing them for either missional or formational reasons. So that those are great anecdotes. Thank you. So Ashley, maybe let's kind of pivot toward Holy Week where we find ourselves now. So it's distinct from the season of Lent. Could you maybe give our listeners just kind of a brief overview of what Holy Week entails, like <laughs> Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, all these sort of holy days that mark this special week. So for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the the church calendar or for some who are looking to dive a little deeper, maybe a brief overview of these holy days. Yeah, so um, Holy Week is going to start for us on Sunday, you know, and this is this will be, you know, my first here at Christ the King and my first uh, Palm Sunday in a really traditional setting or at least far Mm. more traditional setting than I've been used to for the last uh, several years. Uh, So this is, for example, uh, will be my first Palm Sunday processional. And um, I uh, ordered palms and we're going to have bells and the whole bit, you know, so yeah. Awesome. For me personally, I, there's a kind of real anticipation and excitement about sort of just experiencing Holy Week in a new way and quite literally entering into the week, which is one of the really beautiful parts of the processional is just, you know, remembering that we're stepping into the life of Jesus and in some way doing it quite literally. So I really appreciate that invitation to really enter in. It it marks, you know, a kind of pivot. And I, as best I can personally and for our church, will be calling people to make a pivot. You know, Mm -hmm. this is holy time. So we need to be intentional about the way that we're going to mark it. And we're going to do that quite literally through these different services and invitations to come together. Uh, But beyond that, I'm going to be, you know, inviting people to do it also in their homes and and personally in different Mm -hmm. ways. I fell into a pattern uh, when I was doing Holy Trinity in Costa Mesa. So I don't in any way think that the pattern I fell into is the right way or the only way to think about these things. But when I approached Maundy Thursday, I approached it through the, you know, the kind of the classic John 13 passage of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and would try to help and teach and think through issues of service mm-hmm. or power. How, how are you seeing yourself uh, or how are you planning on approaching Maundy Thursday this year? So, you know, just quite 
practically and literally, this will be the first time um, doing a Monday Thursday service. So in the same way that I am doing a more traditional Palm Sunday, it will be our first time as a church observing Monday Thursday together. Um, I've had my own sort of private habits around that for a number of years, but this will be, you know, so I'm excited about the opportunity to consider those things together through the liturgy. Uh, I, for, for me, um, you know, just, just to say it in case there are others who maybe feel this way, but, um, the whole notion of foot washing is just like profoundly uncomfortable. For me. <laughs> yeah. You're and the I, only one who feels that way. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those sort of like things that we always, it's like, I, I get it. Um, and I struggle to, uh, yeah. so like, you know, that there's always been a bit of a tension where it's one of those things where it's like that made a whole lot of sense for Jesus in the first century in ways that mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure people are connecting um, now in 2023. And so, but I, you know, that being said, it's like to really contend with what you're saying, Bishop Todd, which is like how we think about power and position yeah. and, you know, actually being profoundly uncomfortable about power, privilege and position is just yeah. maybe exactly what we should be mm-hmm. thinking about and wrestling yeah. with. And whether you do that quite literally through an act of foot washing, you know, it's like, I think that's the thing for me is if you're going to wash somebody's feet, just make darn sure that you're thinking about power, privilege, and position while you're mm-hmm. doing it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Might as well. <laughs> so, yeah. And all of that because, and again, you know, we can just sort of like, it's, this is not about self, you know, flagellation or just, you know, like, oh man, woe is me and all my power and privilege. And I'm such mm-hmm. a, that's the point is not that the point is communion. Yeah. And that's literally true. You know, for Monday mm-hmm. Thursday is that where yeah. everything is pointing towards the table and, you know, God's desire to be at a table with us and our commitment to, you know, domination or exploitation or positions of power posturing over one another, it subverts communion. It gets in the way. And so I think, Tethering those two things together feels really important uh, to do. And so both through the liturgy uh, and through how we're talking about it, I hope that's what people take away. Mm. Yeah, that passage in John 13 in the message has become for me one of the most evocative and imaginative passions in all the uh, passages in all the scripture where Peterson has, I think, John saying, um, Jesus, knowing that he had come from the Father. So just think about that for a minute. All the privilege and power of the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. that he'd come from the Father and that he was returning. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so you know, John doesn't put it exactly like this, but Jesus, conscious of his position, privilege, power, mm-hmm. what does he do? He washes the disciples' right. feet. Mm-hmm. And that is just, that is such, like I said, an evocative, meaningful passage to me that, because uh, I don't think we're we're not going to rid the earth of power it, because it's part of God's creative design, mm-hmm. but we can try to take on Christ likeness so that we would do what's right with power, and we'll that's never right. get it perfect. But that's just so it pull that pulls me yeah. in somehow in a very deep way. Because you're right. I mean, that's ex- exactly right. It's not, you know what is power for is the question. Just like what is fasting yeah. for? You know, right. I mean, what if God would were answering the mm-hmm. question? You guys are right. We can't devoid ourselves of power. We're not meant to. Um, mm-hmm. We are made in His image, but how we use it and what it's for is, is another question entirely. So I hope that's what you know we're grappling with to some degree. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, I think that's why Holy Week for me personally, and I know for a lot of folks, um, it's so formative spiritually because we're following these events in Jesus's life and and sort of modeling ourselves over the example that he gives us. Mm-hmm. And so what better way to really immerse ourselves in this time mm-hmm. that the church has been, you know, set aside to 
to think about these things mm-hmm. and apply it no matter what, mm-hmm. um, where we are as far as time, right? This is still applicable to us now in 2023 as it was when these practices were absolutely put forward by the church. So, Hi, I'm Brian Wallace. I'm a C4SO priest and the executive director for the Fuller Center for Spiritual Formation. In this past season, Bishop Todd's noticed that a lot of us in C4SO are just tired. We are in need of spiritual healing and restoration. So he's asked me to offer a free and optional retreat day before the start of this year's clergy conference coming up in May. I've had the joy of leading seven of these retreats in cities all around the U.S. They've been times to attend to the hurts, trauma, and losses so many of us have experienced in these past few years. They've been a chance to lean into the restoring work of Christ and live into his ongoing healing. We have planned a relaxed day where you'll have time for guided personal reflection, worship, one-on-one spiritual direction, and healing prayer. Would you join us? It's May the 3rd, Wednesday from 8.30 to 2 p.m. And it's at the site of this year's clergy conference at Christ Church Overland Park. Breakfast and lunch are provided. And again, it's a free resource provided to us by Bishop Todd. The clergy conference starts at 4 p.m. So we'll have plenty of time, a couple hours to relax between the pre-conference and the conference start. If you're walking through a tough season or just feeling weary, I hope you'll make time for this special moment of hope, healing, and restoration. God bless you. Ashley, I would ask you a similar question regarding Good Friday. How do you think about uh, teaching, you know, sacrifice and forgiveness, um, all the themes that we see in um, Good Friday specifically? Yeah, so I think there has been, you know, I just say for me personally, a kind of subtle shift. So even growing up in the world of evangelicalism, I think I was familiar probably most of all with Good Friday just because of the centrality of the cross. And um, I feel really thankful for that. But I spent a lot of my life really focused when it came to the cross specifically on um I don't even mean this in a negative way, but on my, myself. So my need for forgiveness yeah. um, and Jesus' sacrifice in particular on my behalf. Right. So right. Um, I spent, you know, if you're looking at the whole of, span of my life, I've spent a lot of time <laughs> relatively thinking about that aspect of the cross. And so mm-hmm. I think one of the gifts of this tradition has been a, a slight shift for me in thinking about Good Friday, specifically around the question of like, what is it exactly that makes Good Friday good? Like, why do mm-hmm. we call it that? Yeah. yeah. Simply put, you know, Jesus is what makes Good Friday good. And how do I say this really simply? Like I have found myself for the last number of years, and I don't think this year will be an exception like trying to imagine a world without him. You know, if we'd had our way, we, he wouldn't be here. Mm. Um, we we worked really hard to rid ourselves of God. And I think that's the message of Good Friday. That's what we're trying to continue with is that he came and mm. we didn't want him. We wanted rid of him. Yeah. And what if we'd gotten our way is the really like sort of terrifying and harrowing question of Good Friday. So that day for me in the last number of years has become an invitation to sit with and imagine my own life and the world apart from Jesus, you know, without him. And, you know, then I sort of, you find yourself reflecting on one, how terrifying that would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there, well, why would it be terrifying? Well, it's because Jesus is this and he's this and he's this and he's this. And we have this and this and this as a result of him. We have these hymns, we have these hopes, we have, you know, this love and access to peace. And we have all those things because of who he is. And then you find yourself like, you know, he's good. He's just yeah. so good. And then rather than the focus being about, you know, me and my sin and what I feel bad about or whatever, it's just like, it's about him. 
And then I find myself grieving as something just slightly different, you know, um, focused on something just slightly different. And I feel thankful again for both of those traditions and the invitation, but pairing them together has been really important um, for me. Last yeah. So uh, Ashley, will you guys do Holy Saturday? We're going to call folks to fast, um, a kind okay. of you know, total, okay. total fast for, um, which I, you know, that's sort of being able to, to fast that weekend. A lot of Christians do that, but I don't know how practiced, you know, we know Christ, we Christians yeah. do that, you know, sort of like yeah. out there. And so yeah. I'm going to really invite the church to consider what that would look like for them, like really practically with, with food, um, yeah. whatever yeah. else they're fasting to, to yeah. fast on Saturday and to feel the kind of ache of the world. Mm. Um, in our bodies for that day. So we don't have services um, or anything on Holy Saturday, but the kind of like practice of despair will yeah. be to allow yourself to feel some of that ache. Yeah. And we'll put, we're putting together an Easter vigil for families and uh, friends to practice in their homes. Should they choose oh, to do that? Families yeah. oh, cool. vigil every Easter for the last number of years. Um, so we break fast together um, oh, yeah. at midnight and uh, quite literally feast and ring in the Easter morning together, um, have done that in, in our home for a long time. So, um, just making that practice available to others who would like to. Holy Saturday, it kind of sits on a, a spectrum of really amazing, crazy good Easter vigils, you know, that are, mm-hmm. you know, some churches are just super good at it. We yeah. never did it at Holy Trinity, not because I'm in any way against it. We just couldn't pull it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we, yeah. we did something like for us, uh, we would have good attendance at Holy at Monday Thursday or average attendance, good attendance at Good Friday. Good Friday. Almost nobody would come to Holy Saturday. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, Easter would be, you know, Easter. But mm-hmm. what we did, and I hear you getting at it, and this is what I want you to comment more about. We tried, we formed it into, because, you know, we might only have like 30, 40 people there or something. And so it was intentionally really contemplative mm-hmm. and really contemplative about we tried to help people feel what the earliest friends of Jesus would have felt because we all know Sunday's coming, right? You know, that famous it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. coming. There was no hope in the first good Saturday. It was all despair and confusion and there was, there was no hope. So just tell just say a little bit more about that instinct you have. I love that instinct Mm -hmm. of helping your people feel the world's pain through fasting Mm -hmm. and the despair of so much of the world. Yeah, you know, I think one of the most, and everyone who's really lost someone and grieved knows this feeling. One of the hardest parts of grief is that feeling of the world keeps going and yet it's over for you, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, you you know, the sun came up and it Mm -hmm. felt like it shouldn't. And that had to have been true. Like, when I think about, um, you know, for Peter, for John, for Mary, you know, what Mm -hmm. it was like to, to watch the sun come up. Um, the next day and to just be like, you know, that, what do we do? Yeah. And that feeling is just so human. And so many of us can really relate to that because I suspect this Holy Saturday, I mean, spring is coming. So it's like one of the just craziest contrasts is like, you know, the juxtaposition of the sobriety of the day, the heaviness of the day, the reality. And then it's like, you know, flowers are blooming Mm -hmm. outside and you just feel stuck you know, in that tension. Uh, and I think the invitation is to feel that on purpose. And so like, yeah, you're going to have, just don't have a normal Saturday, but it will be normal. It just acknowledging, you know, like there, I'm going to have to probably go to a soccer game 
you know, yeah. on Holy Saturday. Yeah. And if somebody I love had died, I'd have to go do something like that, you know, and carry this grief with me. Mm-hmm. And so I think the fasting is an invitation to like feel the grief. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, as you, like you would if you were actually grieving. Yeah. We do know Sunday's coming. Jesus mm-hmm. lives for me. Yeah. I'm not mourning the loss of him in the same way. Um, I am trying to feel it though. And so I can, I can feel it on purpose. Mm, yeah. So Ashley, how do you think about teaching and preaching and um, just sort of communicating this hope on Easter Sunday? So practicing the resurrection life, this joy that we have in Christ. Mm. Um, how does that, you know, uh, affect the way that you think about teaching on, on Easter Sunday? Yeah, I, I'm a big Easter fan. And in part, it's because, you know, it was always a day for me of like a lot of things that were kind of important, but really kind of, you know, I knew important in some way and kind of disconnected. I, you know, it was uh, Easter cantatas and egg hunts and, you know, we're all, you know, we're going to eat good food and be with family and all that. So wonderful. But, you know, the missional call to practice resurrection is not something that I just, not because of the tradition that I came out of just my own maturity, probably in my faith, just like trying to understand and connect the dots. Like what is really all of that about? Right, right. And then, you know, so there's that piece of it that I just now really love because it's like I have all these different ways of like actually practically practicing resurrection Mm -hmm. that we'll do on Sunday and then continue. But then, you know, there's like also the beyond the, the practical part of it, it's like, you know, trying to sit with, okay, what does it mean that we're just like better at somberness of Lent? You know, we're mm. actually better at yeah. being sad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we are at like practicing hope and yeah. um, resurrection in really intentional ways. And that's especially true for me, for me personally, probably. It's, you know, why I was so drawn to Lent. You know? mm. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> yeah. this great treasure that is Easter. And uh, so I think, you know, I feel it every year, just the corrective in myself to like really celebrate on purpose. And I'll never forget um, mm. you know, N.T. Wright saying we should be drinking champagne for breakfast. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I've really taken that to heart. So for, for me, there's some, you know, us, for our family and I hope for our church, some really intentional ways that we get to lean into the call to celebrate and to practice hope on purpose and with intention. So, you know, on Easter Sunday, we'll be doing all the things churches everywhere are doing. We're flowering our cross and mm-hmm. taking up our hallelujahs and adding more songs. And um, I hope hugging a little bit more and um, exchanging peace uh, with a lot of sincerity and um, yeah eating a lot of really good food. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is the I best. Yeah. yeah. That marks a feast. Yeah. I, I love Eastertide. It's a season of feasting and it's such a joyful time at our church. We're doing a, after Easter service or in the evening, we're doing uh, what we're calling feaster. So yes. we'll gather together and just have a potluck and yeah. yeah. So we've kind of exactly. coined that. It's, yeah. it's such a fun time. But yes. Ashley, let me ask you kind of on a personal note, uh, as someone in ministry, you're a rector at Christ the King. How do you pace yourself for Holy Week? And this could be in a couple of different ways, whether it's spiritually or, or physically, you know, as we are the ones who put together these services, as we think through teaching and, you know, just putting this time together for our congregation. How do you pace yourself and do you have any tips for your colleagues and those of us who are doing this work as well? Yeah. I mean, nothing new or novel, I'm sure. Just like the kind of, if I, 
as I, you know, when I'm sitting with my friends, just the reminder to be diligent in our intentionality about like setting aside time for reflection and in particular this week. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've really taken Eugene Peterson's advice to heart. I, I schedule time on my calendar with the authors I want to be reading Yeah. um, rather than scheduling other meetings this week in particular is um, I have my calendars full of time with some of my favorite thinkers and writers. Yeah. And um, so the calendar's full, but in the best kind of way, you know, I'm just really going to purposely make space to, to be reflective. And I, that's because there is so much to do. You know, yeah. the time yeah. that, you have, that you have to set aside to do the things you, they have to be done. There is a lot for us to do. And it's exactly what you said, Bishop Todd, like we're not doing services on Holy Saturday just because there are limits, you know? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, yeah. I think that that's super wise. Cause I feel like what can happen sometimes is we try to pull all these things off. And then by the time we get to Easter, we don't get to celebrate adequately because yes. we're so burnt yes. out and tired. Yes. So feeling a little hungover going in uh, <laughs> End of, of, and not, I don't mean that literally. I mean, yeah, yeah. Maybe for some people, literally, but you know, <laughs> exhausted, you know, but right. Of, you know, some of that, there's a good kind of exhaustion, and that's like after you've thrown a really great party and you, you know, kind sure, of, yeah. Like, yeah. And you know, there'll be people who are doing that, and that's that's fine, but I, I don't, I'd rather feel that at the end of Easter Sunday mm, than feel before. that Wednesday night going into Monday, Thursday, that's right? Yeah. That's a there's a difference there, you know. Yes. So it is a pacing thing. Yeah. How do we pace ourselves appropriately? Mm. Yeah, I think I think there's a reason that historically Episcopalians and Roman Catholics and others have taken the week after Holy Week off mm-hmm. <laughs> for vacation. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> maybe rightly. So, you know, I love what you're saying, Ashley. I think that really is a good tip, even though it's not like uh, a tip, like a little pithy thing. But when I think back of, you know, I started teaching the Bible in public when I was 19 and I'm almost 67. So that's a long time. And it was always a little bit intuitive to me. I don't know why that like this had to be real for me before I could teach it. Sure. But that really deepened 15 years ago or so when I became an Anglican and like had to face Holy Week. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I I had to sit with this stuff and it had to become real to me Mm -hmm. or I didn't feel like I had a good conscience to be in public was something that hadn't become real to me. So like you, I had to sit with others' ideas and I had to learn and yeah. um, like take it in, not just mentally or intellectually, but I guess making it real for me meant something like taking it into my soul or mm-hmm. something in my deeper belief system than just mere intellect or something. So yeah, amen. I like that. And there's just nothing, I mean, worse than looking out at a congregation and saying, you know, he is risen, he's risen indeed to a group of people that are like, yeah, I guess, <laughs> you know, or like, yeah. hope that matters, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, or like, this right. is a great feasting day and our day of rejoicing and celebrating and people feel like really unprepared for it or yeah. just like they haven't been able to lean into it. So even, you know, yeah, for myself and also I hope that I'm able to give our church some ways to lean into Holy Week so that we're really doing it together. You know, like whatever rejoicing and celebrating we do, it's like, you know, we want to do this together. This is our time of feasting. So here you are, a a newish rector at this church about to go through with this congregation that I'll say, because Ashley never would, and that's appropriate, that Ashley's doing a great job in Fayetteville and that (laughs) church is coming alive. So when you think now, okay, here we go with this you know, congregation that is just has so much life in it. What's your dream for Holy Week this this year? If 
if it came off in a dreamlike way, what would that be? That we would feel like sort of contagiously hopeful. Mm, yeah. I think, you know, if I, that I, if I hope for something for uh, Christ the King, it's that not only, and I don't even just mean that in an emotive feeling sort of way, but that we would have hope in like, oh man, like I actually have a vision for my life with God in a way that gives me hope for the future. You know, if we've like felt some of us, like we've been in a wandering season, quite literally through Lent, but for a lot of folks, it's been a lot longer than that, Yeah, um, that we are maybe coming out of it and that we would have some real tracks to run on and a path to walk and this, this Anglican way through the tradition. And just by virtue of being in community with the Holy Spirit, I mean, that is not, is my prayer quite literally. I mean, it's Romans, you know, 15, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. Yeah. Um, Amen. It just, I, I, that's my prayer for the church. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, may it be true for you, Ashley, and true for Christ the King and true for every C4SO church and anybody else who listens to this podcast. Great to have you today. Amen. Indeed. Amen. Thanks y'all so much. Bless you. Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.